Welcome into another episode of the Designated for Assignment podcast. It is Josh Holberg riding solo for this episode. First in a couple of months since, uh, Jesus, that unfortunate exit to the uh, 2022 season, the collapse against the Seattle Mariners. And uh, honestly, there hasn't been that much to talk about. You know, Rob and I basically decided that we weren't going to do much until something happened. And, you know, to be doing one now maybe goes a little bit against that because not much has really happened in uh, the last couple of months when it comes to the Blue Jays. You know, John Schneider is now the permanent manager. And when we signed off for the season, we basically assumed that that was going to be the case. And that came to fruition. I am surprised that Don Mattingly was brought into the fold as a bench coach. I don't think that's a bad move by any means. I actually think it's probably going to be a good move. Uh, I think that that's just more experience to have in the dugout in certain situations, the sounding board guys can go to him. Uh, Obviously he was a great player won the American league MVP might help some guys. So I got no issues with that. And then obviously before we get to the winter meetings and the lack of activity, obviously when it comes to the blue Jays and we'll dive into that, uh, the Teoscar Hernandez chip trade, was certainly top of mind for us when that happened, you know, about three ish weeks ago, as we sit here in the second week of December. And, you know, I wasn't really that surprised that they moved to Oscar. Uh, you know, it was clear that after the way things ended last season, that some changes were going to be made. And I, we talked that I thought the thought was one Potentially both, but certainly one of him or Lourdes Gurriel Jr. wasn't going to be back next year. It just seemed unlikely. I thought Lourdes was probably the more likely to go. But in hindsight, you know, Teoscar has more value because he's been a better player uh, over the last couple of years. And, you know, the, I don't really have an issue moving him because I think that there's an argument to be made that his production could decline at any moment, you know, his inability to hit off-speed pitches, really his ability to only consistently do damage on fastballs, I think it leaves him open to a bit of an offensive decline. And uh, I'm not saying that that's for sure going to happen, but I could see a scenario in which that happens. The, the return is fine. You know, Eric Swanson's a, a pretty solid reliever even if he didn't pitch in the highest leverage situations in a deep Seattle bullpen, I think that he does have the stuff to be able to do the job uh, in leverage spots. And, you know, I think with the benefit of hindsight, seeing what the market dictates, you know, Eric Swanson has multiple years of team control at a very low cost. Uh, You know, getting relief help is going to be expensive this offseason. You know, Kenley Jansen got $16 million a year. He's still really good, but $16 million a year for, uh, you know, probably a top 10 closer. That's a lot of money. And the Blue Jays, I just don't think are necessarily, even though they were supposedly in on Kenley, uh, that just doesn't strike me as something that they're going to do when they have other areas to fill. And you know, it's certainly fair to look at the Teoscar deal as maybe a bit of a salary dump situation, you know, his projected arbitration in his final year before free agency was going to be somewhere around $14 million. That's a high ticket for uh, an imperfect player, but, you know, as it stands right now, he hasn't been replaced and like 
you got to figure that out. And the options aren't exactly overflowing in terms of players who, you know, you look at and would say are going to be as good as Teoscar Hernandez or, uh, or going to be better than Teoscar Hernandez. Like, I think the one that a lot of Blue Jays fans have honed in on, and I, I certainly can understand why is Brandon Nimmo, uh, formerly of the New York Mets, but I just don't see that in all honesty, like, you know, stranger things have happened. I probably was on the record as saying I would have been surprised that they signed George Springer a couple of years ago and they pulled that off. So like, it's going to be an uncomfortable amount of money and an uncomfortable, I think probably amount of term to get Brandon Nimmo signed to a contract. There are conflicting reports that they're in on him. They love him. He's not top of mind. I think you're talking about a similar type of contract to the one Springer got, if not more, considering you know what other players have been able to get. And he'd be a perfect fit because you know if he can stay healthy, he allows you to bump Springer some over to right field, which I think needs to happen more. I don't think you can abandon necessarily George Springer playing in center field because I think he can still do it. But I think for the benefit of him in terms of staying healthy, a move to right field more often than not, like I would say ideally more than 50% of the time would be the best move. And Nimmo, I think, seamlessly allows you uh, to do that. You know, That's why I think they were sort of in on Cody Bellinger. I don't know how deep that got. I was never really buying it as something that made a whole heck of a lot of sense because I think there's just a, an argument you made that Cody Bellinger stinks because he's stunk for two years and you could blame injuries and that's fair, but you look at just the body of work and injuries can only go so far when you're talking about one of the worst offensive players in the league over the last two seasons and $17.5 million. You're taking on some risk for me in that situation. Like if he's horrible and you're just stuck with almost $18 million of salary in a player that doesn't really provide you much in the way of value. I just wasn't buying that. The The reward just wasn't realistic enough for me um, to, to go with that level of risk. And like the, the story of the winter meetings, you know, was they didn't really get anything done. They didn't get anything done period. And it's disappointing. It's not one of these situations where I look at it and say, well, you know, they fucked up at the winter meetings and now that means that they're not going to be able to get anything done over the course of the rest of the off season. That's absolutely not the case. They're going to make moves. I don't know how long it's going to take. Like, is it going to happen before the calendar flips to 2023? Perhaps, perhaps not. But I was expecting them to do something at the winter meetings. You know, other teams were, were, were making moves a lot of the players who signed, you know, aren't necessarily ones that uh, that I looked at as being all that likely or, or or good fits. You know, there was obviously the dalliance with Andrew Heaney, and they allegedly offered him more than the Texas Rangers did, and he wanted to go to Texas because he's from Oklahoma, and uh, that that's fine and dandy. I wasn't buying Andrew Heaney. Like at all. I, I understand that he has good stuff and he improved his slider with the Dodgers and a lot of strikeouts and all of this, but this is not a guy who you can depend on. And 
You know, I, I, the perfect scenario is that you sign somebody like a Carlos Rodon or I guess to an extent Kodai Senga or even Chris Bassett because those guys like have upside but also potentially higher floors. You know, whereas Heaney wasn't really much in the way of a floor. And like, I just think after the way last season went with, you know, obviously Manoa and Gosman were great and then Stripling came out of nowhere to some extent to really become the third best starter, you know, Barrios, Kikuchi, White, you know, relying on, especially Kikuchi and White again, I just feel like you can allow those guys maybe to battle for the number five spot, but you just need some steady innings um, in your rotation that you didn't have towards the end of the season and more depth. And I expect that they'll get that done, but I just wonder where they go because you know, there aren't that many guys that they've been firmly connected to. Maybe they do go back to stripling and they figure out a way to get that done. And I don't know what his market is because middle tier starting pitchers have been getting paid just in an absolutely insane amount of money so far, like Taiwan Walker getting 72 million over four years. That blew my mind because he's a fine pitcher, but $18 million a season for Taiwan Walker is not something uh, that I would feel comfortable with. And like Ross Stripling's 30, going to be 33, 30, age 33 season. You know, he doesn't have an extensive track record of a lot of innings of high-end performance as a starting pitcher. Like if you told me they could get him on a three-year deal for, you know, $12 million a season, I, I'd probably sign off on that. You know, a lot of people have asked me if they erred and miscalculated the market in terms of not giving him the qualifying offer. And I could certainly see that argument. You know, if there are worse things, there would have been worse things, I guess, considering where things have shaken out than having Ross Stripling for between 19 and $20 million uh, on a one-year deal. I'm not really losing sleep over it because like I've been in the camp that, you know, I just don't think Ross Stripling is likely all that likely to replicate what he did um, last season. I just think that there's some red flags there uh, that yeah, I don't think he's necessarily going to just become an awful pitcher again, like he was for a couple of years. But I just think he's a back end of the rotation type of arm. And I don't want that type of pitcher making, you know, 19, 20 million dollars a year. I would like a little bit more juice than that and maybe they get in on Senga I don't see it again it does just doesn't sound like it he hasn't been to Toronto it doesn't seem like he's been um, you know connected to them with some of the teams or cities or whatever it has that he's visited so I just I struggle to see like Nate Nate Yavaldi all these guys who have qualifying offers attached to them that just doesn't strike me as something that this front office is going to be super comfortable doing. And like, I sort of get it from the perspective of some of these pitchers, like is Nate Eovaldi worth parting with, you know, what you have to, when a qualifying offer is attached, I would argue, no, is Carlos Rodon worth uh, parting with what you need to, when he's attached to qualifying offer, I would certainly argue. Yes. But I just don't see them, you know, giving potentially 150 plus million dollars to a starting pitcher when they already have two starters making nine figures in terms of Gosman and Barrios and an Alec Minow extension is coming, you would hope at some point um, in the future. Like, I, I like to think of some guys, you know, they were in on Kyle Gibson. 
you know, the, the Gibson and Heaney pursuits made sense to an extent if you were also pursuing somebody else. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case, but if those were your only starting pitchers uh, that you acquired, if you were able to get one of Kyle Gibson who ended up in Baltimore or Andrew Heaney to add to your mix, and then it's Kikuchi and white, that's tenuous because you're an injury away from not being in a good position. I just feel like you have to add two starting pitchers before uh, opening day, just to, Add more depth, more competition, so you can earn a spot uh, out of spring. And um, like maybe Noah Syndergaard is the guy. That's not necessarily somebody that gives you much in terms of raising the ceiling. I think he's more of a floor play because he's just not the pitcher he was anymore. He's just not as dominant. He doesn't have the same level of power that he used to. But they were connected to him last year. They were connected to him at the deadline. I just think that that could be a fit that that makes um, some level of sense. Like I've seen some Corey Kluber thought out there. That's not really something um, that I'm particularly interested in. I guess the trade market is um, somewhere they could go, but it's hard to know, you know, like are the Marlins an option with Pablo Lopez and maybe you match up uh, with a catcher. Oh, actually we got some breaking news as I'm recording this. I, I just saw this. So Brandon Nimmo's that's not happening. Uh, he is going back to the New York Mets on an eight-year deal for $162 million. Godspeed. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of term. Um, and they also signed David Robertson, who might not have been a bad uh, addition in the Blue Jays bullpen. So it's a good time to be a Mets fan. Not as good of a time right now to be a Blue Jays fan. Um, you know, like, I, I, I was definitely... I would say disappointed by the performance uh, at the winter meetings. And, you know, I wish they would have done something, you know, there's always the argument they're, they're laying the groundwork and and maybe they're planting some seeds for some stuff that could end up getting done, um, you know, in the coming weeks. And that's certainly the case. And they've been a late acting kind of front office over the last couple of years anyways. So they, I, I do think that they do deserve somewhat of the benefit of the doubt to an extent, but the pressure is really on to meaningfully improve this team. And like, I just right now have a hard time seeing the options that are staring me in the face that would lead me to believe that there, you know, is a move or two out there that I think is realistic that they can pull off that can achieve what fans pundits everyone i feel like needs to see or knows that needs to happen you can always pull a rabbit out of your hat i I do think that the catching trade situation will be interesting you know everyone had the cardinals circled as a possible type of fit and then they signed wilson Contreras, and then you know there's some reports out there i think it was uh, shy davidi that the cards were never really dangling either of their outfielders, Dylan Carlson or Newt Barr in a trade. And it was more uh, their closer, Ryan Helsley. That would have been interesting, but I'm honestly like, I, I'd rather be trading a catcher for impact starting pitching or an impact left-handed bat in the outfield. And, you know, there aren't that many of those, you know, maybe the Arizona diamondbacks are a fit. I know people like Dalton Varsho or, you know, Alec Thomas or Corbin Carroll. I don't know how much of that is realistic. The Diamondbacks just feel like a team that wants to be as competitive as possible right now. And 
I just don't know if trading a catcher for Alec Thomas, where the Blue Jays are in their current window to win, makes a whole ton of sense. I think you just need somebody uh, a little bit more established than that. The guys that I keep coming back to when it comes to the outfield, and I'm sure a lot of people who are going to be listening to this are going to say, well, that's not really good enough, is Michael Conforto. Michael Brantley, and I think Joey Gallo is going to be on that list as well. And let's say you sign Conforto and he can play right field and you give him some sort of one-year deal, like maybe one of these one with an option. He can test free agency if he has a good year. He can opt in if he doesn't type type of moves. Like the one that he and he signed uh, with the Texas Rangers, maybe you build some incentives in based on games played because he's coming off of a major shoulder injury. But he's probably not going to cost significantly less, if at all less, than Teoscar Hernandez. And, you know, the question is, would you rather have Teoscar Hernandez or Michael Conforto in 2022? And I think most people would say Teoscar Hernandez. If Michael Conforto is healthy and productive, I think, honestly, he's a better all-around offensive player. And Teoscar, like you look at what Conforto did a couple of years ago uh, in 2020. I know it's the lockout shortened season and, you know, everyone wants to take that with a grain of salt, but he was really good, like kind of quietly one of the better offensive players in the National League. You know, he had a 158 WRC plus. He uh, had an OPS well over 900. He hit 322. He was not good. Uh, in 2021 and 125 games, he only hit 14 home runs. He hit 232. He was still above league average in terms of his offensive production. But this is a guy who has three seasons with 25 plus home runs. He hasn't had one since 2019. And the projections have him maybe more as a low 20 homer guy, but he can walk. He doesn't strike out as much as Teoscar. I think he would probably be my top choice in terms of the free agent market in terms of right fielders, I would much prefer him uh, to Cody Bellinger because I, I just don't think that his skill set has eroded to the level that Bellinger's has. I, and I think that there's an argument like uh, that Conforto is not going to necessarily cost you as much. Brantley is more of a, you know, he's a left fielder, so it doesn't really solve the issue of what you do in right field because you need somebody who can patrol center field. Like Conforto can play some center field. It's not perfect. It's not ideal in terms of where I think his best fit is in the outfield, but I think he can spell Springer some. Like, I don't think it's a disaster case scenario of George Springer still playing um, you know, a decent chunk of games at center field wouldn't be my ideal preference, but I think, you know, if you could get Conforto out there for, I don't know, 50 or 60 games or something like that. And then you add a fourth outfielder, like maybe a Kevin Kiermaier type, and then he can spell spring or some as well. And then if you move one of your catchers, that allows some DH opportunities for Brantley. You know, Kirk can can DH some. Vladdy's obviously going to DH some. I just think that that might be the cleanest route right now, short of, you know, an unforeseen trade for an outfielder that we're not thinking of that hasn't materialized uh, to this point. Um, I just have a hard time necessarily seeing uh, much out there beyond those guys. So I, I would rank it Conforto and then Brantley. And I, I honestly, my prediction is I, I think Michael Conforto does end up uh, as a member of the Blue Jays. And I'm also saying that 
Noah Syndergaard, I think, is going to end up as a member of the Blue Jays. I've been wrong before, and I'll probably be wrong about this, but those those just feel like the types of fits. Um, you know, there's maybe some smoke there. There's been smoke in the past, like I said, with Syndergaard. I, I just think that, you know, it could be one of those situations where the stars align there um, a little bit. And then, you know, it's fair to wonder, you better off, you know, with a trade-off of Conforto and Syndergaard hypothetically for Stripling and Tay Oscar. And I would say that, you know, that's at best a wash and probably um, you're worse off. So they're, they're in a tough position right now. Like there's not really that much for me that I, that I'm looking at right now that I feel great about their prospects of, making that move that I think really appeases a lot of the fan base um, that people will feel really excited about and change the conversation and get people fired up uh, about what it does for the ceiling of this ball club. Like uh, I could see, could they quietly get involved in the Liam Hendricks trade situation if he's available? Like, I don't think that their bullpen as currently constructed is bad at all. But I think that they could probably use another piece uh, back there, especially another leverage piece. Maybe that's something they look at doing. But uh, like so far, it's been a strange offseason, I think is really the only way um, to put it. Like Strange, if not disappointing. You know, it's too early to say that it's going to be a disaster and they're not going to be able to get anything done. But you would have liked to have seen a little bit more traction. Um, And I guess we'll see what happens here in the next couple of weeks before Christmas. But uh, there's still plenty of work to be done. Uh, It's going to be a quick one tonight. I just wanted to reconnect with you guys and uh, have a few thoughts on what's been going on and and what we might be seeing here in the next couple of weeks. Wanted to get, obviously, a couple of listener questions before we... uh, quickly wrap this up and I basically put out on Twitter just uh, who you thought the one move the Blue Jays needed to make or you wanted to see them make was and uh, we got a bunch here so let's uh, rattle through if you all get into what I think of them. Uh, Zettel tweets in what do you think about Chris Bassett? Do you see the Jays taking a run at him? He would be a solid number three and they would get the pick back when Stripling signs elsewhere. That's interesting because you know the compensation since there's a qualifying offer attached to Bassett, if Stripling signs elsewhere, you can recoup some of that. Yeah, Chris Bassett would be perfect. He is, um, to me, one of the most underrated starting pitchers, really, arguably in all of the majors over the last couple of years. He didn't have a good postseason run in New York, but he's been a quality starting pitcher. Like, there's not a lot of juice there. But he gives you quality innings every time he takes the ball. He's generally been pretty durable. He's been, you know, a pitcher who's pitched to a mid or, or low three ERA most of his career. I think he could fit very nicely in this rotation. But I just think that he's going to cost more than I think they're realistically looking to pay, I think is what it comes down to. I just don't see them you know, paying a soon to be 34 year old potentially for maybe does somebody go to five years and, 
you know, he turned down 19.65 or whatever it was on the qualifying. Like, is he getting 20 million a year? I think you could certainly make that argument. And you're talking about four years, 80 million, five years, 100 million for Chris Bassett. I would be okay with it, but I just don't think that, you know, it fits the MO. Uh, And I just don't see another potential close to, if not nine figure starting pitching contract. Uh, on the books for this front office. So as great as Bassett would be and uh, as good of an option as I think he is, I just don't see it. Here's one from Craig on his wish list. Don't know how realistic uh, some of this is. He wanted Nimmo signed. Well, that's obviously out. Signed Sanga. Uh, I don't see that one happening, even though he's not attached to the posting fee, which is why so many teams uh, are connected and interested in him. They don't have to pay an additional, you know, 10, 15, 20, whatever it is, million dollars um, to get him out of his contract in Japan. I I just think that, you know, as good as he might be, like I thought this when the Red Sox signed that uh, Yoshida to that contract, maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't though. There's a lot of risk to giving an unproven player from a different league and a different country, a monster contract. Sometimes it works out. Like you look what happened with uh, Hassan Kim and he came from Korea and his first year was a borderline disaster. And then he was excellent this past season for the Padres, but it's not a slam dunk that, you know, a pitcher like Senga is going to come over here and, slot in as a number two or number three in a rotation. There's just a lot of risk. And it sounds like he has five or six year offers potentially on the table. You're probably talking again about nine figures. And that's just not necessarily my level of comfort for that type of pitcher. I'm okay giving somebody a nine figure contract, but I want there to be a little bit more comfort and security with it. And he just doesn't, he just doesn't give me that feeling the same way that Rodon and even Bassett does, you know, proven competitors who, you know, have been able to get the job done against major league hitters. You know, Sanga's slider, I don't think is particularly good. Like he's kind of just a fastball splitter type of guy. I feel like in the majors, like maybe he, you know, has a, a mixes in some other stuff, but like he's got that ghost fork ball or whatever it's called. I don't know if all that those bells and whistles are necessarily going to work in the majors. And I just think that he's realistically going to cost just, it's just going to be too much money um, for the Blue Jays to pay. And it's too much money for me to pay uh, as well. Craig also wants to see them sign Bassett. We covered that. No question. He'd be great, but I just don't think it's, uh, all that realistic trade one of Jansen Moreno Kirk. I think I, I would be surprised if that didn't happen, to be honest. Like I, I you Wilson Contreras gets $87.5 million. We'll see what Christian Vasquez gets. The catching market is strong and these guys are all good, especially in Jansen and Kirk's case, they're proven Teams will want Moreno as well because of the pedigree. His defensive skills are already good. And even though the power hasn't quite materialized to this point, he's clearly a polished hitter who has really good contact skills and good plate discipline. You, That's a good package to have. And he's versatile and you could potentially play him at other positions. So if you find the right fit, you could move him 
in the blink of an eye. I do think one of those guys uh, is gone. It's a question mark of, you know, where you look, do you go to somewhere like Milwaukee? I know that the Brewers have said that they're not trading Burns. They're not trading Woodruff. Maybe, you know, somebody like a Freddie Peralta. Do you look at that as a possibility? I know he's got an extensive injury history, some shoulder concerns. So that makes me a little bit squeamish, but, you know, maybe that's the type of avenue you look to. Maybe, like we talked about with the Marlins, the D-backs, you know, the Guardians need a catcher. Maybe you match up there with some of their starting pitching. Like, I don't think you're getting Bieber. I don't think you're getting McKenzie. You know, could you get a Cal Quantrill? I think there's a possible fit there. I don't know how I feel about that because, you know, Quantrill's a, a nice arm, but he's not somebody that really leaps off the page for me but he could be a good fit in the three or four spot for the Blue Jays. So that is maybe uh, something that could make some sense. And then he also wants uh, to see one of Biggio, Santiago Espinal, or Whit Merrifield traded and like, okay, maybe, but what are those guys, you know, fetching you in a deal? I just think realistically, you know, you could attach one of those guys in a bigger package, but I don't think on their own, any of those guys are realistically going to be able to get you that much. Uh, Will tweets in an interesting one. How about Danny Jansen for Alex Verdugo and a prospect? I think they have similar years of control. I know Danny Jansen is a free agent uh, in two years. And, you know, like Alex Verdugo is coming off of a really bad year. There's no uh, getting around it. He was awful, relatively speaking, in 2022 after a really good 2021. He's probably going to be making, you know, seven, eight million dollars projected next season. But, you know, if he can get back to the player he was in certainly 2021 and, and even 2020, where, you know, he hit the ball hard, he gets on base, he doesn't strike out very much. He just has to find a little bit more pop. He projects as a two-win player, you know, an above-average offensive player. There might be something there. I think I'd probably want a little bit more. And I also don't know how great I feel about Danny Jansen getting traded in the division. Stuff like that always makes me feel a little bit squeamish. And Verdugo's a left fielder, plays a bit of right field uh, as well. You just, you know, it'd be perfect if you could just find somebody out there who can give you some quality innings and appearances in games in center field. And Verdugo isn't necessarily uh, the cleanest fit in the world when it comes to that for me. So I, I, I kind of like that to some extent, but I, I don't think it's, you know, quite right uh, for me. Like, I, I think it's an interesting proposal, but I think I'm looking for a little bit better of a fit uh, if I'm trading uh, Danny Jansen, especially in the division. And we've got a bunch more here. I can get to a couple more. Max has Carlos Rodon. Would love it, but uh, don't see that happening. Somebody says they should sign Stewart, sign me to be the fifth starter. Uh, no. Uh, that's, uh, I, you know, I appreciate, uh, a good ribbing as much as the next guy, but, uh, no, uh, Brian Reynolds from Arfi is, uh, obviously an option and, uh, you know, 
like there, there's been some, I think it was John Morosi was saying it was Ricky Tiedemann and, uh, or Relvis Martinez where the prospects connected. And I'm always one, I I've been this way on this podcast. And as long as I've been talking about the blue Jays, uh, when the right time comes for you to trade prospects for major league talent, you know, Brian Reynolds isn't a perfect player. There's some question marks about his value and his ability as a defensive center field that, uh, defensive center fielder. He didn't have a good year there last year after being pretty solid in terms of outs above average and whatnot the last couple of years. I think he's a solid player. I think in the right deal, he would make a lot of sense. I don't know if I'd trade Tiedemann necessarily in, in that one. If you could get me Bednar back, I might be more open to it. But if it's just Reynolds or Elvis Martinez, I think I'm prepared to uh, to move. But Tiedemann and just a Reynolds deal, uh, depending what else is involved. I don't know if that's necessarily uh, something that I like. Arfi also wants a Pablo Lopez trade. See, catcher situation, I think, makes the most sense. Um, trade Moreno and a few lower level prospects for Dalton Varsho from Cameron. Yeah, like th- that would work for me. I think, you know, Dalton Varsho I, is one of these players who has just become the apple of a lot of people's eyes. And I think he's a very good player and a very versatile player. Like, I don't know if that's the be all end all. I think it'd be a nice solid fit, but uh, I don't know if I'm necessarily, you know, as high on him as a, lo- a lot of other uh, people are. Mike Burke tweets in, Cal Quantrill or Tristan McKenzie, we talked about Cleveland. They're not trading McKenzie. I, I just don't see that. And, uh, you know, Quantrill, like I said, could be a decent fit in the right package. Steve, uh, Michael Waka, I don't mind that, actually. You know, he's not the sexiest uh, option in the world, but he can give you some back-end quality injuries that have obviously been a concern for him. Uh, at large stages of his career, but I could be okay with that on a shorter term deal. That might make some sense uh, for me. Some people just want to see one move, any move. And I understand your, uh, I guess, impatience and we all want transactions. Like I'm as guilty as the next guy of wanting to be able to react and look into players and get excited about transactions and you know, that hasn't been the case so far. They made the Teoscar deal and it's been crickets ever since. And hopefully, you know, things start to progress a little bit. But, you know, if the end of the year comes and they haven't made any moves, I'm not going to necessarily just be like, oh, well, this has just been a fucking catastrophe. And, you know, they're they're shit and they're not going to be able to figure it out. Like, they've made moves into January. I know last year at the lockout, kind of you throw that out the window. But... Like I know they signed Gossman last year in November and they signed Yumi Garcia last year in November. The market, it's it's who knows what is going on with the market right now in terms of, you know, what's out there, how certain players are playing it in terms of where they want to go and how much they want to get and the ideal fit and all of those sorts of things. And, you know, the, the usual back, you know, whatever you want to call it, the way that the Blue Jays front office articulates their pursuit in these situations. I'm not going to lie. It always makes me roll my eyes with some of the mumbo jumbo that they spew out there in terms of, you know, gathering info and like the opportunities that they find available to themselves and blah, blah, blah. 
but you know, maybe there's a method to that madness. And like, I can't get around and sugarcoat the fact that this is a super important off season because, you know, last year ended really poorly and, you know, you improved your win total from the year before you made the playoffs, but you got your ass kicked uh, essentially. Uh, even if the games were relatively close and you blew a lead, you got swept when you needed to win two of three at home, you got swept. It's a disappointing season. There's no more margin for error. Like uh, there are no more years where you can kick the can down the road. The window is firmly open right now for a couple of years. And you should be leaving no stone unturned in terms of figuring out every and any available way to you an avenue to improve your ball club. And I still have some, relative, I would say more than most, I think level of hope and confidence and faith and what have you that the moves will be made. And this will be a better team than it was on whatever it was October 8th or 9th, whenever they finish their season, but they have plenty of work to, to do and uh, we'll see what happens. But so far it's been underwhelming and uh, it was good to be back here for a brief little episode of the DFA pod. Hopefully Rob Wong and I will be able to uh, have some news at some point here in the new f- near future. If some big news breaks, we're going to get into it. This didn't necessarily qualify as big news, but wanted to just get back out there, kind of weigh in on what's happened here over the last couple of weeks and months. Appreciated all of your interaction. As always, you can find us at DFA underscore pod at Jay Goldberg 12 at Rob Wong 34. We will be back soon. As always, appreciate all of your listening. Hope you enjoyed the show and we'll talk to you soon on the designated for assignment podcast.